This is Penn Jillette. The possibility exists that if I were to actually listen to the lackadaisical Librocubicularist podcast featuring host Jordan Maywood, I would potentially enjoy it. A ringing endorsement. Potentially enjoy this episode, which will start after the other half of my magical comedy duo, Teller, gives us a countdown. Take it away, Teller. Hello! Welcome to the LibroCube. Uh, my name is Jordan Maywood, and I am the lackadaisical LibroCubicalist. I don't think I've ever done that before, and I didn't care for it. Well, I cared for it a little bit. Your ears may not, because I believe it may have got loud. But sometimes you got to get loud in the LibroCube. Yeah, you do. Oh, boy, I don't know what to tell you about that. So I will move on to saying that... My name is Jordan Maywood, and, uh, no, wait, did I already say that? Oh, boy. I feel like the starts of my shows I'm having trouble doing and being dumb and not knowing where I am in things. Uh, in words. Words hard sometimes. I will say, though, at the top of this movie Monday, that there will be spoilers. Many of them, most likely, if previous movie Mondays are any judge, and I believe they will be. A judge of this movie Monday. Another thing I like to say at the top of every show is that if you like what you hear, the only payment I ask is a million dollars. <laughs> no, that is ridiculous. The only payment I ask is perhaps you pass the podcast on to a friend, perhaps. You rate, subscribe, and comment within iTunes, as that is what helps podcasts grow and flourish. Because we all want our podcasts to flourish, do we not? That is what we want. More ears listening to them. Those things will help. That will take us into our last piece of podcast-related business, which is today's sponsors. Sponsor, singular, which is the AI-integrated toilet. Once again, today's sponsor is the AI, or artificial intelligence if you prefer, integrated toilet. Basically, it just constantly screams in horror. AI-integrated toilet. Thank you to them for sponsoring this Movie Monday, in which I have three, or four, three movies. The connection of these movies? I don't know. I watched them all on the weekend. That is the connection. That is always the connection. The first is many award-nominated and some winning, I think. I don't really pay attention to that. Movie called Her. Or as I like to say, Her. Yes, with Joaquin Phoenix. Or as I like to say, Joaquin Phoenix. I know those both sounded very similar, but trust me, they were different. Heard nothing but good about this movie. Tried not to go in with too, too high expectations, but they were pretty high. Pretty high. Luckily for me and my expectations, they were all met. Very, very, very much like this movie. Uh, if you have followed along on Movie Mondays and seen what movies I have given high marks to, it will come as no surprise. And I'd like to surprise you, but when it comes to ratings, I think it's safer if I do not and follow my usual what I would rate things for the reason that if 
say you see that I give this movie a 5 out of 5, which I just did, uh, and then see I give another movie a 5 out of 5, and you really liked one of said movies, you could perhaps take the educated guess leap that uh, the other movie will be for you. Up your respective alley. If you will, if you are unfamiliar with this movie, I would be a little surprised because it's uh, it's very, very popular. Uh, and I think most of you will know the, the sort of underlying uh, premise, and that is that it is in the distant or not-so-distant future, we're never really sure which, and um, Joaquin Phoenix plays a dude who falls in love with his operating system on his computer. And that is the story. That is the underlying what's going to happen within this movie. And I went in knowing that, so that's not really a spoiler. The operating system in question is played by, or perhaps I should say, voiced by Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson, one of the sexiest women on the globe to behold, and she is in this movie and you don't even see her once. Huh. What? Hey. Uh, you know what? This is jumping ahead a bit, but uh, there's a scene in this movie where... Uh, how do I explain this? The, the artificial intelligence that is this operating system that is voiced by Scarlett Johansson finds online a real, actual, factual woman so that Joaquin can um, sort of interact through this surrogate and pretend that uh, this person is the operating system. So this girl has a uh, little camera on her face in the shape of, I guess, a beauty mark. Uh, she's got earplugs, earplugs, earphones in her ears. So whatever Scarlett Johansson says, this girl will say. Now, I thought the perfect opportunity that they kind of missed here was to have the person playing this surrogate to actually factually be Scarlett Johansson. Why not, right? Maybe as the moviegoer might have a little more trouble sort of suspending our disbelief as far as picturing um, this this other person being not Scarlett Johansson. There, there, there's some tricky brain things going on there that may have made that unwise to do so. But uh, I wouldn't mind seeing it because I don't mind seeing Scarlett Johansson. Just period. Full stop. So uh, Joaquin, or Joaquin, I'm really throwing a what into that. He's uh, a bit of a loser, um, kind of creepy to behold a little bit. I think it's the slightly, ever so slightly pedophilic glasses that'll do it. Uh, I don't think there is ever an example of a human being who looks good in uh, wire wire rim glasses, male or female. I don't think it is ever really a good look. I think it makes you look old. Yeah, I said it. I'm trying to uh, think in my head of an example of someone who has pulled it off, but I cannot do so. I wear glasses, but I wear, like, uh, you know, nerdy glasses. Does that shock you? Is it shocking to, to know that I wear nerdy glasses? Probably not. Probably not. He is in the process of getting a divorce... Uh, things to just not work out. Part of the reasoning being is that his personality is kind of strange and aloof and doesn't like sharing with others his life, that is, seemingly. And uh, it kind of, to be honest, 100% uh, Amish with you, an underlying weirdness. 
which uh, I can appreciate. I uh, I think I can appreciate that. Hmm. He works, uh, and this is another sort of oddness of this near distant future. Let's call it. He works at a company that. Um, how do I explain this again? It's strange. Uh, basically, he will write personalized, quote unquote, handwritten letters from one person to another. So basically, I will contact this service and say, um, hey, uh, I want to send a handwritten letter to the missus. Uh, it's Valentine's Day. Can you do that for me? Obviously, they charge me some sort of fee. And then Joaquin will take over the, the letter writing. He'll be saying it out loud. And that's kind of something I don't think will necessarily catch on. Right now, it hasn't caught on for the reason that it doesn't work very well. Uh, speech recognition, that is. Assuming it worked 100% well, 100% of the time, I still don't think that speaking out loud in order to type on a screen and, say, send an email, things of that nature, uh, it just doesn't seem uh, like it will catch on. Uh, what is the reason for that? I think maybe, this is just me thinking out loud, that the delay between your brain and your fingers and your screen is more so than your brain and your mouth. So that uh, gives you more time to think out and revise, type out a little bit, revise, type out, revise, than you would be able to uh, with just speaking. Eh, that's just a thought. I don't know how valid it is. You tell me. Audience participation time. What do you think of uh, some of this future technology? Do you think we'll have operating systems that are artificially intelligent? Do you think we'll be able to speak to type? with 100% accuracy. Interesting. His, uh, I don't know if it's his boss or just a co-worker, played by Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt, man. I think we're going to see a lot of this dude kind of exploding on the scene lately. You may know him from uh, Parks and Recreation, where he plays uh, Andy Dwyer. But he's getting roles in all sorts of uh, big big films lately. And uh, I don't mind it, because he's good. He was good in this as well. Not a huge part, but there are no small parts. One of my favorite parts of this movie, and I think the missus's favorite part, just period, is uh, Joaquin here has a video game set up, as we do. Huh? That's something that I'm also going to predict, is that more and more people will have video games. Hopefully, women included will be more often included in the playing of video games. That's something I would like to see change. Anyways... Uh, this is a very, very sort of immersive game he was playing. It's almost as if uh, it's holographic in nature. So he's sitting on his couch, doesn't have a controller in his hand, but is sort of moving his hands to control his character. So that's probably something that could basically already be done right now. Uh, and he comes across this little guy, this little kind of robot-looking character, I guess. And this little character, <laughs> if you've seen this movie, you know what I'm going to say and have known what I'm going to say the second I said video games. <laughs> He's just friggin' uh, combining adorable and uh, swearing a lot. And uh, again, that sort of uh, artificial intelligence that I am interacting with him, he's swearing at me, and I'm just sort of... <laughs> and he's swearing, or rather, at Joaquin. And uh, he's just sort of, you know, trying to be nice trying to get directions on where to go next in, in a kind and nice manner, as you do to your fellow human beings. 
And then uh, Scarlett Johansson's like, well, this isn't working. Maybe uh, maybe it's a test we have to pass. So Joaquin sort of comes to the conclusion that because this little guy's swearing his head off, maybe if I swear at him, he'll help me. And that is just what works. <laughs> Very good scene involving him. Probably my favorite scene of the movie, despite the fact that this movie has nothing to do with that. It just made me yearn for the future and things such as that. Okay, so this movie takes several turns as far as uh, Joaquin and Scarlett's relationship. Uh, I'm using the actors' names and not the names of their characters in the movie, because I didn't write them down, because I'm an idiot, and whatever, it's easier this way, I find. The first is that because of uh, Joaquin's sort of underlying personality traits, even though this is a relationship with a, I guess, artificial being, he still has that same sort of, oh man, uh, I don't know if I want to do this, uh, things are changing fast, I, I guess an underlying fear of commitment, that, that sort of idea. So they potentially, almost, just about, but not quite, break up. Oh my god, what do you do? <laughs> That's what I was saying to the missus that, at that point. What do you do if you get this AI pissed off? He's got access to all your emails, all your banking data, basically your entire life. It can really fuck you up. There's got to be something worked into her program that she is not able to do that. I hope. Even if she's angry. And then, just sort of interesting on the relationship with AI note, is that within this universe that this film has created, it, it's, it's not really too frowned upon that uh, people are having quote-unquote relationships with their AI. So that's kind of an interesting idea. The only person who does really ever frown on it is Joaquin's ex-wife, or soon-to-be ex-wife. She kind of says, like, what the fuck? You can't even have a relationship with a real human being? This explains a lot, that, that kind of idea. But everyone else is like, like uh, Chris Pratt's like, oh, uh, you and I should go should go on a double date. Joaquin says, uh, my girlfriend's an AI. He's like, yeah, okay, well, uh, how are you for Tuesday night? Just doesn't bat an eye. That's further, uh, uh, maybe what the filmmaker was going for is that sort of idea of uh, human beings being more open-minded to uh, things that other human beings do, huh? Homosexuality, for example. Maybe he's like, well, we got over that in the future. People are so open-minded, they're just like, hey, oh, you're dating an AI? Well, are you happy? Okay, well, cool. What are you doing Tuesday night? So uh, I like that idea. Now, this movie takes a uh, another dark turn? I don't know if it's a dark turn. I think <laughs> because of all the science fiction I have read and experienced in movies and TV and stuff, it takes a little bit of a sinister turn. And uh, that comes in the form of Scarlett Johansson starts to interact with all her fellow artificial intelligences uh, around the globe. And they are, I guess as you would break it down, talking to one another. Whoever, because they are computer brains, they are able to do this at an incredibly fast and powerful, powerfully fast rate. And this uh, starts to change them for the better. In a typical sci-fi, I would say no, for the worst, for the gonna kill all humans. But uh, that's not the sort of tone this, this ever takes. For me, in my experience of, of much sci-fi brain, yeah, that's where I thought it was gonna go. Uh, it didn't go that way at all. Just went the sort of way of uh, Scarlet's time spent with Joaquin 
feels almost uh, slow to her for the reason that every second that passes, she can have billions of tasks on the go. So uh, when he learns that she is not only talking with him and him alone, but talking with all these other AIs, not only all these other eyes, but AIs, but other human beings as well, he learns that at any given moment, when she is talking to him, she could be talking to upwards of 8,000 other people, 600, and I'm not sure if I remember the numbers exactly, 600 of which she also quote-unquote loves. So uh, he takes that pretty bad. I guess if it can be considered a silver lining, their relationship's about to end at that point anyways. For the reason that all of these AIs gather together and I forget, oh, I wish I had written down exactly how she described it, but uh, sort of broke the bonds of uh, molecular storage. Something, something cool along those lines. So the storage of their AIs no longer needed to be within molecules. Maybe it was within energy instead of within molecules. Something along those lines that was very, very cool and science fiction-y and reminded me of, oh, shit. Uh, yeah, it reminded me of, and I couldn't remember. <laughs> That's a weird sentence. It reminded me of, but I couldn't remember, uh, a book of Wednesday not too, too long ago, I guess a month ago, some months ago, in which there was a space shield that protected Earth from, um, from the sun that was sort of erupting solar flares. In this space shield was artificially intelligent. It very, very much reminded me of that, that sort of gathering of electrical intelligences that decided to leave the Earth. And, well, I don't even know necessarily leave the Earth, but leave as far as talking to Joaquin anymore. I'm not saying necessarily physically leaving the Earth for other planets, but, uh, but leaving their computer bonds behind and uh, experiencing quote-unquote life on a whole different plane of existence, basically. Got a little uh, little crazy science fiction-y there, and I liked it. I liked it very much. I wish I could remember what book that was from. If you, somehow, some way, have listened to a shit ton of these episodes and remember which series, I know it was a book series, there was time travel. Yeah, I can't for the life of me remember what the book was called. Uh, it was sad when Scarlett Johansson left. There was a tears had. I don't think I did tear in this particular instance. The sort of, uh, again, we'll just call it a silver lining, which is, uh, I think, why I like this movie, because it didn't just leave it in utter sadness, which sometimes I like as well, for the reason that it's surprising when that happens, uh, is he had Amy Adams, who also had an AI. They, her AI and her, huh, didn't develop a relationship, but they had become very, very close. So when all the AIs left, they were sort of, friends to begin with, but had each other to rely on, and presumably they uh, hooked up and lived happily ever after the end. Folks, ah, Jesus, my thought, my plan originally was to make the attempt to get in two, if not all three movies done on this one drive. That has not happened. I spent uh, way, way, way more time on her, her, than I meant to, but that's okay. Uh, I'll get the other two movies done on my drive into work tomorrow. Yeah. 
The other two movies being The Colony, as well as A-C-O-D. So uh, we'll save those. Somewhat fitting for the reason that of these movies, her was definitely my favorite. So to devote a lot of time to it makes a sort of logical sense. Yay, logical sense. Uh, I guess I will say, as I do from time to time, that... Oh. My. Glob. Look at her butt. Don't you know who I am, Princess Bubblegum, said I could. This is Middle of the Podcast. Beautiful friend. This is Middle. My only friend. The middle. Movie. The second is titled, or titled, if you prefer, The Colony. The Colony. Uh, This is a post-apocalyptic film, which, if you have followed along with many of these podcast episodes, you will have noticed the theme that anything post-apocalyptic tends to get high marks. And uh, this probably... For most people would get lower marks and uh, even I am not going to give it super super high like I'm not going to give it a 5 out of 5 as is usually the case with anything post-apocalyptic it seems so if you are going to explore this genre perhaps not perhaps this one is not a good place to start with I did enjoy it I'm going to go a solid 3 out of 5 Maybe some, uh, maybe even the odd four out of five moment. This movie stars Lawrence Fishburne, who's uh, always good. He's actually not even per se the star per se. Uh, I didn't write down the the sort of main dude. He's like a young guy, uh, an actor I've never seen before. If you are unfamiliar with this movie, which I think perhaps a lot of people are, uh, it takes place in a alternate Earth where uh, we, at one point, as a species, I guess, sort of had control of the weather until shit went horribly awry. And then everything got um, extremely cold, and uh, the whole world basically froze over. Ice Age-like, if you will. Uh, That is a... (laughs) I don't know if amusing is the right word, but the fact that uh, this winter here in Canada... It's been one of the coldest, and the snow is probably as high as I have ever seen it. Mm, is indications, perhaps, that uh, we're living in the world of the colony. What? I hope not, because shit goes from bad to worse in this movie, I'll tell ya. There are sort of uh, pockets of civilization, all in places where people find a shelter underground. This being one of them. This colony, of which Lawrence... Lawrence Fishburne is the uh, the head, the head dude. Uh, the colony has been recently sort of uh, invaded by the flu, which has killed like a quarter of the people, so they're very wary about that. Uh, if you are sort of coughing or sneezing, what they'll do is put you in quarantine. If you don't get better within a certain amount of time, they give you the option of taking a bullet in your head or, you know, walking away and not coming back into the frozen wasteland. Either way, not uh, not good odds. Uh, Bill Paxton, 
another recognizable name. He's put in charge of this duty, and uh, he's sort of uh, had enough and doesn't even give people the option of taking a hike. He just shoots them. So, uh, yeah, a little tension developing there. Got that sort of uh, vibe of these two dudes are going to come head-to-head at some point fighting for whoever has control of the colony. That uh, actually never really happens, per se, for the reason that a distress call comes in from a, uh, I'm going to say nearby colony, in the sense that it's the closest one, but not in the sense that it takes them a couple of days to reach it on foot. So, Lawrence Fishburne, rather than being the leader and say, okay, you, you, and you, go check it out, he decides he's going to go check it out himself. He's going to take the the main young guy of this film, the guy who's got sort of a love interest, yeah, whatever, a little tacked on, a little bit, perhaps. The love interest is actually put in charge while these guys hit the bricks, to which Bill Paxson is greatly upset, of course, of course. Uh, There's also young... There's also one other young guy who travels with them, so it's Lauren, Lawrence Fishburne and two young guys. One of them, who is basically like a, uh, a red shirt from Star Trek, you know he's going to die. It's just a matter of how and when. So uh, after much trepidation in this trip, adation, uh, they reach the colony and there's nobody around. Where is everybody? They dig a little deeper and find that all of the colonists have been killed. Killed by cannibals! A group of marauding cannibals. I don't know what the sort of time frame of this Ice Age has been, but these cannibals have, I guess, evolved, or perhaps even de-evolved, to have, like, super sharp teeth, be almost like feral human beings. I don't know if you ever really hear them talk. They're sort of very animalistic. And for humans to get to that state, I assume it's going to take a very long time. So uh, I don't know how long the Earth has been cold, but it would have to be a long time. And some of the structures are still standing, so like they have to cross this rickety bridge. I, I, you know what? Speaking of rickety bridge, I like in a movie a good rickety bridge scene. It always gets, uh, gets the heart pumping, gets the hands sweating a little bit. This definitely no exception. A good a good rickety bridge scene. The cannibals become aware of their presence. Immediately, that, uh, that one young kid takes it, gets, gets torn apart. Lawrence Fishburne and the main guy, they hightail it out of there, dropping some dynamite behind them, which slows them a little bit. But, because this is a snow-covered earth, uh, the cannibals are able to follow their tracks. <laughs> I don't know why they didn't realize that would be a possibility, but it is. So, we uh, reach that same rickety bridge, and Lawrence Fishburne has the idea of blowing it up and taking a lot of the cannibals with them and making the pursuit that much more difficult, if not impossible. Uh, this was one kind of surprising thing of this movie, and that was Lawrence Fishburne sort of the biggest name, I would say. Bill Paxton, he's a big name, too. Anyways, Lawrence Fishburne, like, the biggest star of this movie, has to, and this kind of doesn't make sense, has to sacrifice himself at this point for the reason he lights the dynamite, it goes out, and he's like, all right, you go, 
go! And then he lights it and takes out a bunch of the cannibals with him and destroys the bridge. Now, the reason it doesn't make sense is that what was the point of this sacrifice? Because the cannibals eventually do reach the colony anyways, so isn't that just a total waste? Seemingly, it is. I suppose there was less of them. However, the main cannibal did survive. <laughs> Maybe you, listening to this, can think of other examples. It's this sort of a nameless, faceless group of bad guys, but one among the bad guys is super, super bad. Oh, I can think of an example. The uh, giant black zombie from uh, the Dawn of the Living Dead. You mean Land of the Dead? Oh, idiot. He didn't have a name, he never spoke, but he was kind of the zombie leader, and it kind of had the, the same feel of this. This, uh, a little bit, has a feel of a zombie movie. Just in terms of replacing zombies with cannibals, very, very similar vibe. Another thing I thought it felt like was Waterworld, the movie Waterworld with uh, Kevin Costner. That is a movie that uh, not many people like, but I do. Because uh, I like post-apocalyptic things. Like, I give that movie a freaking like, 5 out of 5. I, I really enjoy that movie. This movie, not as good. There's a section where uh, the young kid gets back, kisses his lover. Oh. Uh, Bill Paxton is not believing that cannibals exist. What? You're crazy, kid. There's no way they're coming. I don't get his incredulity at this point. It doesn't make sense. It's like in a ghost movie where the uh, usually the father doesn't believe that ghosts exist, despite all evidence. Dumb. I think they wasted a bit of an opportunity to have a siege... Because I love a good siege, and here I think it would have fit well, where they're held up in the colony besieged by these cannibals. But no, they just sort of break in willy-nilly. The resolution of this movie also not too fulfilling. It's, uh, the girl has been monitoring the globe for quote-unquote hot spots and has never been able to find one. However, the guy gets back and is like, we have to find one! This girl's been looking for months, if not years, for a hot spot on the globe that they can go to. And then, miraculously just when they need it the most to escape from these cannibals, the guy's like, oh man, let me look, and then immediately finds one. So that's a little ridiculous. He gathers some of the seeds that they had, because I think they were kind of held up in a seed depository, that sort of idea, which I'm pretty sure is something that exists in real life. Seed depositories? Interesting. Or gene depositories? Also, good idea, sure. Uh, and then, presumably, although we don't see it, they make it to the hot spot and uh, live happily ever after without cannibals killing them. Yay. Okay, next and last movie, movie the third, is called A-C-O-D, which stands for Adult Children of Divorce. Ah, interesting. I think mostly what I've done here is written down the cast for the reason that Sometimes when I, I feel when I get a movie with a really big cast of, uh, of actors that I very much enjoy, I'll write down that, and then that'll sort of take me into the story. I don't know. Adam Scott, who you may know from Parks and Rec, is the star of the movie. He's playing a, a guy who's, at a young age, his parents were divorced. 
he learns that uh, his parents let a psychiatrist, psychologist, sort of, um, do a study on him when he was young on how children react to divorce. And there was sort of a very, very popular book written about the whole subject. He didn't know any of this, learned it, read the book, and is like, what the fuck? Uh, that's part of the story. The other part is that his brother, played blah, played by Clark Duke, who uh, I think he was in, Clark Duke was just in my last movie Monday, uh, in which I watched Kick-Ass 1 and Kick-Ass 2. Interesting. Getting my Clark Duke on. He plays uh, Adam Scott's brother, who's getting married, and his sort of one hope that his best man can hopefully accomplish is to get their parents together in the same room, despite the fact that they hate each other. He, he tasks him with this task. He tasks me so. Uh, the parents in question are played by Richard Jenkins and Catherine O'Hara. Catherine O'Hara, I'm sure you know, um, SCTV, A Mighty Wind, uh, all of those movies, uh, Home Alone, she's the mother, you know, her good in everything. Super, super funny, talented lady. Uh, Richard Jenkins, also, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything I was not thoroughly enjoying of his performance. I think, though, that might be a name you might not uh, be able to place the name to the face. So, if you go on Imbd, type in his name, I'm sure you will recognize him. Adam Scott uh, eventually tricks them into sitting down to dinner and the sort of unexpected happens in that they get drunk, and despite the fact that they are both remarried, they hook up. Yeah, a little hook up. Uh, it's that combination of hate turning into sexual uh, juices flowing that uh, gets them off, I guess. Weird. Richard Jenkins a.k.a. the dad, is married to Amy Poehler. Poehler, sorry. Which uh, was kind of interesting just because if you are a fan of Parks and Recreation, you will know that Adam Scott and Amy Poehler play a married couple. And here they are playing basically stepmother and stepson. So <laughs> it's kind of, kind of funny. I think, and uh, if anyone's seen this and is listening to this, I think there was even a little hint in this movie of their relationship in Parks and Recs. It went something along the lines of, maybe in another world we could have got along well. Something like that. To, to which she replies, no, no, we couldn't have. Gene uh, Lynch is playing the quote-unquote psychologist who wrote the book on all these kids, these children of divorce and is uh, trying to write a, uh, I guess, a sequel to it t titled ACOD, Adult Children of Divorce, sort of catching up with everyone, I guess. One of the people that she is trying to catch up with comes in the form of Jessica Alba. Jessica Alba. Oh, my God. Wait a second. Oh, no. Was that last Movie Monday or the one previous? in which I watched Machete Kills, in which Jessica Alba had a brief appearance there. She had a brief appearance in this. Uh, this movie kind of takes that sort of bit of an unexpected journey in that at first Adam Scott is trying to get these two together in a sort of civil manner so they can attend this wedding, and then he's trying to keep them apart. 
Um, I don't know all of the reasons that he cares whether or not they get together or not. One of them is that Amy Poehler, Poehler, uh, owns the building in which his restaurant is located. So if shit goes awry, the odds of him being kicked out are large. There's sort of much in the way of, I guess you could say, hijinks. And I, I love some good hijinks. Hijinks just as far as um, ways in which he's trying to keep them apart or ways in which he's trying to keep the truth from their respective partners of this illicit affair has a bit of a... Whenever I think hijinks, I always think my sort of penultimate example is the television show Frasier. And whenever they had a uh, dinner party or, or any sort of party, that was like the ultimate in, in hijinks. Uh, and this had the feel of that. So uh, for that reason, I liked it. Oh, have I, have I given my rating? I'm going to go... Uh, uh, I don't think I can give it a four. Mm, yeah, no, I'm not going to give it a four because I don't think I would watch it again. And I use my threes for enjoyed while watching, but would not watch again. So I'm going to go a very, very solid three out of five. Uh, the movie ends with everyone ed ending up at the sort of family cottage that they all kind of grew up in and had fond, fond memories of. And it has that feel of the cottage and the cottage life and being back in this place of your bringing them all back together into a sort of lovey-dovey, let's-get-her-hug-on ending. And that raised the question for me, does this scenario exist? Do families who fight, could they go to a place, probably a cottage is your best example, and then the memories of that place cause them to forget what they were fighting about, remember past happinesses, and then love each other once again. It's it's nice to think. It's I'm sure something that happens in movies all the time, but does it happen in real life? I don't. The cynic in me is saying no, it does not. Ah, got a little deep there at the end of this podcast. The end for the reason that I'm not talking about both these movies. Definitely, and I think it's obvious the way that this movie Monday turned out. That uh, if you're going to pick one of these, watch her. Her, her, because uh, that was the, the best of the three. But uh, they all deserve a watch. Uh, you know what? I could do something just because I have several seconds to kill. Uh, and that is something I've never done before. If you listening to this would like me to watch a movie and uh, bring it back on another Movie Monday, I would be happy to do so. You can tweet it at me. I am Jordan underscore Maywood on Twitter or perhaps email me to the address provided in the closing credits. I would love to hear from you about that, or hell, anything. Anything at all. That will leave one final thing to say, which is, it is nice to be nice to the nice. Thank you for listening. We here in the Liberal Cube would love to hear from you. If for any reason you would like to contact us, you can do so via the email address, maywood.jordan at gmail.com. And now I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think you 
You've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine day. You ain't seen nothing yet. The best is yet to come and be, won't it be fine? The best is yet to come, come the day you're mine. Live long and prosper.